0: This is a CBC Podcast.
1: New research shows that many young adults are delaying parenthood or choosing not
2: to have kids at all because of the cost. Hi, I'm Ian Hannah Mansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast.
3: The conversation around not having children, it's really ripe with a lot of stigma and stereotypes and
2: judgment. Our question, are you choosing to have kids or go child free? And what's weighing on your decision?
4: I've given up the vote on having children, and I'm okay with that. That's totally fine with me. I want to be financially responsible and be able to say yes to a child if they want to participate in extracurricular activities, and right now, I wouldn't be able to afford it.
5: I'm 24. Right now, I'm looking at probably 35 to 40 at having kids. Realistically, if I want to uh, have a house, things like that, that's that's realistically the timeline that I'm looking at. I actually never saw myself in the role as parent. I, at that time, experienced a lot of uh, accusations and criticisms from others who said I was selfish. Now, having lived my life, I'm now 65. I wish I had <laughs> for kids to take care of me if my health fails, but so far, knock on wood, that hasn't happened.
2: The birth rate in Canada has been declining for years, but now it's hit a record low, 1.3 children per woman. 20 years ago, by comparison, it was 1.55. The decline is clear, the reasons less so. For some, it's economics, squeezed by inflation and the cost of housing. We've heard from others who worry about raising a child in the midst of a climate crisis. But of course, a lot of people are having babies. And so our question, are you choosing to have kids or go child free? And what's weighing on your decision? And in the last half hour, measles alert. How likely is an outbreak in Canada? A pediatric infectious disease doctor will be here to answer questions about the illness and the vaccine. I'm Ian Mansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Check Up the Podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from February 25th, 2024. And a reminder, especially for those of you watching on CBC News Network, this program is live and it's a show you can take part in by calling the number and also by going to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Let's start the program off with an expert on this, Sarah Browner-Otto. She is the director of the Center on Population Dynamics at McGill University. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you very much for making some time for us on this uh, Sunday afternoon. The birth rate in Canada has been declining for a while, actually all the way back to the, the 1960s. Broadly speaking, what's behind the trend?
6: Well, I think there are two main things that you're seeing behind this trend. Early on, one of the major factors was actually women's increasing education. So most of the time when women and couples decide they wanna have kids, they wanna wait until they're stable, they're done with their own schooling and they're in a a kind of set, stable environment. With women increasing, uh, going to university and increasing numbers, that pushed childbearing to happen later and later. And that was a big part of the story of the 1960s, 70s, and even into the 80s. More recently, I think we're seeing a lot more delay happening because of work, the transition from schooling into work. That's a harder transition to make now for a lot of people to feel uh, like they're really feeling secure and ready to raise a child.
2: So if people look at the graphs and they can Google uh, to find the Canadian birth rate uh, rates and the numbers, uh, they see this steady decline and a few little blips, you know, a little up, a little down and and a pretty sharp decline, relatively speaking, in the last couple of years. Uh, To what do you attribute that latest steeper decline?
6: Well, the the most recent decline of just from 2021 to 2022 looks a little bit bigger than I think it really is because 2021 was uh, unusually high. We had this strange kind of shifting happening right around the pandemic where in the very early stages of the pandemic, people decided to wait to start to try to get pregnant and to start to have kids. So that meant that, uh, Once the pandemic was a little bit farther along, later on in 2020, they said, "Okay, maybe it's not so bad. We'll try to have kids now. But all those babies were then born in 2021. So 2021 was high. And then we went back down in 2022. But you can almost draw a continuing straight line from sort of uh, 2018, 19 uh, down to 2022.
2: We are live here on Cross Country Checkup with Sarah Browner-Otto, the Director of the Centre on Population Dynamics at McGill University. And our question on the program today, are you choosing to have kids or go child free? What's weighing on your decision? And our number, if you want to take part in the program, is one. 1- Sarah, I think it's interesting in a country as big geographically and as diverse as Canada to look at the differences from region to region. And again, given your expertise, what stands out for you when you do that?
6: Well, there's a lot that's really interesting when you look within Canada, because it's not just all the same by everybody who who's here knows that. And you see real differences. The prairies tend to have higher fertility rates. This is partly driven probably by uh, some religious conservatism in those uh, Uh, provinces as well as larger indigenous populations. Uh, Fertility among the indigenous is uh, much higher than among the non-indigenous in Canada. And so you see that playing out when you look at some provincial and territorial differences. Uh, Quebec has always been a bit of an outlier in terms of fertility. Um, It was kind of in the middle of what you would think. And it's still there today with then Ontario and British Columbia and some of the Atlantic provinces is having extremely low fertility rates right now.
2: And I think that uh, in some places you see a correlation. But again, you tell me you're the expert. A, a correlation between public policy um, and and birth rates. The you know daycare being, I think, a, a big example of that.
6: Yeah, for many years Quebec's higher fertility was supported by the uh, amazing childcare system that we have here, and uh, some stronger. Uh, parental leave policies and things like that, that really supported women and couples balancing work and family in much more manageable ways. Uh, Quebec was $7 a day initially when, uh, when the big rollout happened here, which meant you could be working at a minimum wage job and afford to send your kid to childcare. And that makes a big difference in people's lives about what, how many kids they think they can manage financially. Uh, I think there's hope that we'll start seeing those kinds of benefits in some of the other provinces with the federal program, but we'll have to wait and see how how much people can really access those new spots. Then in the prairies, you can see sort of a different policy response. Sometimes people will say that the tax system in Alberta uh, has been really pro-family and supporting people um, having more take-home pay to to manage their child care needs the way they see fit. You can see these two separate models happening here in Canada.
2: Yeah, and I sure look forward to hearing from callers at 1-888-416-8333, and they can give us some insight uh, on on their decisions to either have children or not have children, but in particular, given what we were just talking about, uh, whether the tax rate in their province or the access to daycare or anything else uh, was a particular factor that speaks to the region of the country they're in. Sarah, one more question for you. Um, From your perspective as a demographer— Should we be concerned that the birth rate is falling?
6: I think we should. I think we should be concerned, but I think we should be concerned for a reason that might be different than what some people think. Some people think we should be concerned because the population is going to start to decline in Canada um, and we won't have enough people to support the elderly or fund pension systems. I think it's a long time to wait um, to address those policy issues, if you're going to wait for women to have enough kids to to support people uh, 50 years from now or 20 years from now, but I think we should be concerned about these low fertility rates because women are saying that they want to be having children. So if you the although fewer women um, say they want to have any children, it's not very many. Uh, that the decrease isn't very many. Sorry, so. We're seeing most people say they want to have kids, most people say they want to have two kids, and but they're not able to do that. So these low fertility rates are really showing that people aren't able to achieve what they want to achieve for families. And to me, that says there's something wrong with the systems that we have going on here that we want to address.
2: Well, if I may, let me just focus on that for a moment so that I understand it. So there is data then that there's a gap between the aspirations that people have in terms of the number of kids they want to have and how many kids they're actually having? Yes.
6: So across the board, when you ask people uh, how many children they want to have or what their ideal family size is, most people are going to say two or three are, are going to be the most common responses for Canada it, for the data that we have. We don't have 2022 data on this, but until quite recently, uh, that's what we were seeing. But uh, what we're seeing is that people aren't feeling like they can act on that right away. So they're delaying their childbearing, and that means they're probably not going to be having those two or three kids because they're going to be waiting so long.
2: That's really interesting. I love it on this program when I learn from experts things live on the air. Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you. Sarah Browner-Otto is the director of the Centre on Population Dynamics at McGill University in Montreal. Later in our program, we'll hear from a single mother of twins about why she decided to pursue parenthood on her own. And whether you've made up your mind or are still on the fence about having kids, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you're in that gap that Sarah just talked about, where you would like to have kids, but you've made a decision for economic reasons, likely, that uh, you're not going to or you're not going to have kids now. Our question, are you choosing to have kids or go child-free? What's weighing on your decision? Our number on Cross Country Checkup is 1-888-416-8333. All right, social media reaction so far to the program. Kelly Walsh connected with us at cbc.ca slash aircheck. She said, I grew up in Newfoundland. And as a first girl, I helped my mother with my sisters. I was eight when the last came along. And frankly, I did not enjoy the experience of young babies. Although, Kelly, you were just eight. Sort of get that. Uh, Through my adult life, I really felt like I had my kids and enough was enough. I hated diapers and crying. I'm now too old for for children and I'm happy with my decision. Ray Mason emailed us to say at an estimated $300,000 to raise a child, apparently a figure that uh, has been identified by Statistics Canada. How many couples can... Afford that. If the government wants to raise the birth rate, then there needs to be huge tax breaks to have a family. This should have been done 20 years ago. And Krista Zed uh, got in touch with us on X slash Twitter. My adult children dream of having kids, but they require stable income and housing first. It is a terrible disappointment for this generation. All right. Uh 18884168333 is the number that Maria Watkinson called from Mississauga, Ontario. Hi Maria. Hi. I see you are not just child-free but happily child-free. Uh, explain why.
4: Yes, very. So, I might have a bit of a different perspective, but I have never wanted kids ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid actually. I knew I didn't want kids. And the main reason for that was that I just knew I could never put myself through Pregnancy, labor, childbirth, postpartum, breastfeeding. That is something I have always and will always never want to do. Mm -hmm. So when I was about 20, I realized, oh, wait, I don't have to do this. And it was such a relief. And ever since then, I've just been building more and more and more reasons. So for me, I don't want to have any part in actually having to create that child. But I've since realized so many more reasons why that whole lifestyle is just not for me as well.
2: Okay, so there are at least two separate issues here. I think one is the physical rigors of uh, of being pregnant and giving birth and breastfeeding. So there are those things which you absolutely did not want to do, and of course you don't have to do them. And you were relieved when you personally kind of realized, "Hey, I, I don't have to do this." But then I think you touched at the end of your answer on a second thing, which is even beyond. Because I was going to ask you whether you know you would consider adoption, but it sounds like the physical part of of having a child is only part of the reason why you're happy not to have kids. So what's the other part?
4: Exactly. That was my main reasons. But then once I decided that's not what I want to do, then I've also realized the whole lifestyle, all the time devoted, all the money devoted. I have other goals and aspirations in life. Like I would much rather be spending that time, that money, that energy on myself, my future husband, my life, It's just not something that I feel would be worth it for me. And I feel like I would end up regretting my decision. And you might not think that there are people who regret it. You can check out the Regretful Parents uh, community on Reddit. There are definitely parents who end up regretting it. And I would personally rather not regret having kids than have them and regret
2: it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, one of the beautiful things about... Our society now, I think, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, is that, uh, you know, not only, of course, you have the freedom to, to have kids or not have kids, uh, but also that there is the support in society, right? That, uh, but, but, but I guess I'm, I'm curious about that, Maria. I think 40 years ago, someone in your situation might have had a lot of moral pressure from family and friends to have kids. What's it been like for you now?
4: Yeah, absolutely. My parents, I'm sure they would have liked me to have kids, but I never got any pressure from my parents at all. I've actually had more pushback from friends because I'm happily, I'm proudly child-free. I post memes about it on my social media and I am from a small town where all of my friends had kids young and most of them are single moms now. So I think a lot of people, they're they're just not putting enough Thought into it. They're not intentional enough with it. It just seems like sort of a social conditioning where that's just what you do.
2: Yeah. A very interesting perspective. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us, Maria. Thank you. Thank you. I think two things will come out of this program, or at least I hope they do. The first one is that people do have the freedom to make decisions. Women do have the freedom to make decisions and they ought to be able to do that free of, uh, of second uh, opinions and and moral judgments from others. But on the other hand, um, these are complex decisions. And though Maria is absolutely certain of what she wants and what she doesn't want, I feel for other people, there may not be as much certainty. And we'd love to hear about that. And so maybe you enthusiastically are having kids or had kids, maybe... You did, and you look back at it and wonder about that decision. Whatever your decision, and however you reach that decision, I look forward to hearing from you at one eight 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 i am Ian Hanamansing, and we're live from CBC Vancouver on Cross Country Checkup on CBC Radio and News Network. Um, Mateo uh, D'Alima-Teal is uh, in Calgary. Hi, Mateo. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. You're 37 years old. You're married. Um, how do you feel about the idea of uh, having or not having kids?
7: I'm really excited about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in a homosexual relationship, and I always thought that that was never going to be an option for me, especially being younger. Mm-hmm. And um, about five years ago, we started our journey, and we tried adoption, and it was taking really long time. Um, adoption rates um, have plummeted. Uh, we were going private. They were normally 120 a year. They dropped to of 20 um, and we fortunately had somebody gift, um, uh, my sister-in-law gifted us her eggs. So we, um, have the option of surrogacy and that's the route that we wanted to go. Um, it's something that like, I've always had a extra love in my heart for a little human or m- maybe multiple and always wanted um, to have that in my life. I always saw people getting married, young, having children, doing the things. And for a lot of people, that isn't the path for them. Um, But it was something that, is that going to be an option for me? And then um, I'm also in healthcare, And it's one of those things, too, that I'm seeing a lot of people in their later years, as they reach 60s, who don't have children. And they have to take a lot of accountability on their own. Um, They're saying, like, I don't have children or anybody to look after me, so I have to... Um, take a big proactive approach with my health because I'm the only person to look after me. Mm -hmm. And they talk about some loneliness and they talk about how, um, because some of their friends are dying and it's hard to make community and there's just, there's not that default social community for that and that place to share love um, with those people. So overall, I'm really excited for the process. I totally get why it's not people's thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it.
2: And and what is it, I mean, there are a multitude of things and you don't even have to know the answer to this because there's so much about having a child that, uh, you know, ends up being different than what you expect. But let me just ask you, at this stage, uh, what is it about having kids that excites you?
7: Um, a lot of things. Uh, I think, so I grew up with young parents. And one of the things that I'm identifying when I'm really excited about being a more of a mature parent is is I had the opportunity to heal the wounds that cut me before I believed on other people. And I can really start thinking about things like philosophy and what do, how do I want to bring up a child and what sort of things do I want to expose them to and um, just what sort of opportunities um, can be given to them and um, uh, just the idea of shared wonder, um, all the things that I maybe didn't have necessarily the opportunities growing up and it's like, oh, I want to see that through somebody's eyes for the first time and when would be the best time to do that? And um, just give a lot of just availability where there wasn't availability for me.
2: I think your child or children are going to be very lucky to have you as a dad, Mateo. Thank you very much for calling.
7: Thank you. Have wonderfully.
2: Uh, let's talk to somebody who uh, is firmly in the camp of not wanting to have children. Carol Eugene-Park is a 27-year-old freelance journalist in Toronto. Hi, Carol. Hi. So, hi. so okay. on. Hi. Okay, we may have an echo there. Let's uh, let's see how the first answer goes. Um, what made you uh, decide or on what basis did you decide you, you don't want to have children?
8: Oh, Ian, you've got, <laughs> that's quite the question. I was a pre- parentified child. And so immediately when I was younger, I recognized the, the burden, uh, quite frankly, and the weight of having to care for my younger siblings and that immediately set the tone for how I didn't want to uh, be a parent uh, and have kids of my own.
2: Now you're still relatively young. Do you think you, you, your view may change over time?
8: No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when people ask me that, I like to ask them, you know, did you ever um, regret having kids? I mean, you know, I am young, I am 27, but for most of my life, I've always felt this way. And, I'm quite stubborn, and I feel like I've gotten to know myself quite well. And, and maybe I will, but I, at this point in my life, I really don't think I ever will.
2: Mm-hmm. And and what about the reaction of uh, from your parents to your decision?
8: <laughs> um, my mom has come to terms with it, uh, but my dad has definitely had some struggles. Um, I remember when I was about uh, in high school. Uh, my mom had told me in confidence that uh, my dad was not happy that I didn't want kids, and he thought it was a reflection of their marriage and of the way that they raised me. And um, that was kind of shocking to me because I didn't realize how like serious that was to him. <laughs> um, he's come around um, now. He likes to tell his, tell his friends that you know I'm a I'm a proud feminist who just goes better ways, um, and so he's he's okay now. He doesn't love it, but he's, he's
2: tolerant of it. We're talking to Carol Eugene Park, a 27-year-old freelance writer who lives in Toronto and has decided not to have children. Our question today on Cross Country Checkup, are you choosing to have kids or go child-free? And on what basis have you made that decision? Our number 1-888-416-8333. Uh, Carol, tell me briefly about an aunt you have uh, whose footsteps you may follow in.
8: Yeah, so my idol, um, my aunt, she is a very successful musician uh, in South Korea. And for most of my life, uh, she never dated. She didn't have kids. She never really wanted to. That was quite mostly because she also had to take care of her five other siblings. Um, she was the first to go to university, and so when you know I learned realized that part of her success came with you know, not having a family to take care of of her own. It kind of clicked for me that that might be a path that I could take because prior to that, you know, I'm a girl and um, I have to have kids of my own. I have to have a family. Um, But my dad, I think when I was younger, he said something that that was, you know, along the lines of if you want to be single, you have to be successful like your aunt. And (laughs) that's when I was like, you know what? That might be a kind of a problematic line today, but it worked for me and it was, it was something that made me feel a lot uh, better about the choice that I had made at that point.
2: Yeah. Well, as with all the people we're talking to today, I really appreciate hearing your point of view, Carol. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Carol Eugene Park, a freelance journalist based in Toronto. In a few minutes, I'll be talking to a therapist who helps couples deal with the issue of whether to have kids or not. Our question today, are you choosing to have kids or go child-free? We're hearing from a lot of people who are choosing to go child-free, which is completely fine. Interested in hearing that point of view, but I, I should point out as well, also eager to hear from those of you who chose to have kids, who are choosing to have kids. And especially if you're younger, what the thought process is with housing costs being so high, with inflation being such an issue, or maybe you had kids a long time ago. And from that perspective, you look back at it and say, you know, this is, in these ways it turned out uh, the way that I thought it would, and in other ways it didn't. So love to have that conversation with all of you at 1-888-416-8333 or go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Susie Shimko is in Toronto. Hi, Susie.
9: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm good. Uh, I see here that you've made the decision not to have children. Uh, Can you share with us why?
9: So um, I'm 48 years old currently, and I did want kids. Uh, I really did thought that that would happen. Um, But as I I married a little bit later in life, Mm -hmm. um, in my mid-30s and whatnot, and uh, yeah, it was just the cost of living. And as I started to hit 40 um, my husband and I, we had a conversation and we just made a decision that, you know, as I was hitting for you at the age that we would be when we were ready, it didn't seem like we wanted to have teenagers when we're in our 60s, that it would be a lot of work. And, you know, uh, it's, it's very expensive. We were finally ready and then we just felt like we were at the wrong stage of life to actually raise kids. And uh, yeah, also, I have some pretty deep concerns about um, the environment and the social and political climate. And uh, I feel pretty terrible about what these kids are going to deal with moving forward, you know? Mm -hmm. So we're professionals who make a good living, but we're not from wealthy families. And uh, most of the people that we know that did have kids when we were coming up um, are from wealthy families, you know? So I feel like uh, there's a lot of economic factor there.
2: You know, there's some call-in shows where it's set up. To be a debate between the host and the callers we don 't don 't generally do that on cross country checkup and we 're certainly not we 're certainly not doing it today like i, I there 's nothing for me to debate with anybody who 's calling because we all make our decisions and uh, and and especially on this topic, uh, we have the right to make our decisions so all I have for you, uh, Susie, is some questions and I, I think sure. one of the things that 's really interesting to me is if I remember correctly, there are at least three different Issues going on here. First of Mm -hmm. all, there was the assessment of affordability. Um, Secondly, there was the age at which you and your husband would have been ready to have kids. And then you thought, mm-hmm. well, you know, when you do the math, uh, this age is not working out that well. And then you touched on something that I've heard before, and I, and I want to ask you about, um, because I don't think we've talked about it on the program really so far. And that is the world that you would have, bringing, would have been bringing your children into. And yeah. so, tell me a little bit more about how, how that factored in your decision not to have kids.
9: I'm very concerned about the, uh, the environment and uh, climate change. Uh, I think that um, bringing kids into the world right now, where they're going to have to clean up basically what's been happening for several generations, uh, the polar ice caps are melting. Uh, it it's just it seems like a real recipe for disaster. And uh, these, these poor kids that are coming up, they're going to have to deal with it. And it doesn't seem fair, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. So. And so any regret on your part about uh, not having kids?
9: Oh yeah, of course. I I wanted kids. I I love kids. Um and I I do have a stepson my my um my husband had a relationship prior to us and he's he's an adult now and I feel good about that and I love him dearly. But at the end of the day like I wanted to have kids of my own but we chose not to. So
2: it is so uh, admirable, so fantastic that you would pick up the phone and give us a call to have a conversation like this, Susie. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Mansing. We're live from Vancouver. Are you choosing to have kids or go child-free? And what weighed uh, or continues to weigh on your mind as you make that decision? I was also thinking, like, in terms of disclosure, should I disclose my family situation? I guess so. I, uh, My wife and I have a couple of sons. Uh, they're adults now. I don't think we ever had much of a conversation about are we going to have kids? How many are we going to have? When are we going to have them? We ended up having kids shortly after we were married um, and uh, became the focus of our lives. And it was fantastic, but it doesn't have to be the focus of your life uh, and it doesn't have to be fantastic. You absolutely can call and let us know uh, how you feel about the idea of having kids or not having kids. Our next caller is in the Kootenays in British Columbia, Douglas Bonnet or bonnet, I think, Douglas. How do you pronounce your last name?
5: Uh, bonnet will do, but it yeah. gets wrong all the time. No worries, Ian.
2: Well, well, you. So, is bonnet the way you'd like it? The way it's supposed to be pronounced? Yes. Okay, fantastic. We will do that from here on in. Um, and so, uh, what's your situation in terms of uh, kids?
5: So i uh, recently married to a, a beautiful young woman. She's 24. I'm only 27, and. Uh, We thought that the biggest hurdle for ourselves was going to be finding housing and making sure that we were financially secure, but we've been very, very lucky that we were able to buy a small house in a a really nice remote community Mm. in the middle of BC here in the Kootenays, and uh, as we sort of settle into our our new lives and and see the community around us, because you're here to take the village to raise a child, we thought this would be the perfect spot, but it's starting to be the reality that, that there's a lot more than financial hurdles keeping us from having a child. And uh, it's more a reality of, of what health care is going to look like in rural communities in 10 years and, uh, and what education is going to look like across Canada when our children would eventually age into that program, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And so both of you are still very, very young. Um, have you made up your mind about whether to have kids or not, or are you still thinking about it?
5: We are one hundred percent on the fence, and it goes back and forth. It's a, it's a weekly conversation. It's, yes. it's every dinner table. Uh, half of the coworkers are saying, "Oh, our kids are the only reason that our life is great," and half our coworkers are saying, "Oh, wow, I wish I didn't have kids to worry about." So, <laughs> it's a consistent topic, but but it seems like uh, like there's just not enough confidence in in the the direction that, uh caring for children is, is heading for us to to know that that's going to be the right call, even if we were to have the money for it.
2: Hey Douglas at some point you're going to be having dinner at a coworker's house and they're going to be one of those people who regretted having kids and you're going to look at their kids at the table and go I wonder if I should bring this up here or not so uh, you you can call uh, us back I hope
5: I have the uh, hope I have the good sense not to bring it up
2: at <laughs> I know I was just teasing um, and so you 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 canvas the opinions of your coworkers you are 100% you and your wife 100% on the fence right now about whether to have kids it is a big decision and there's so many unknowns there what about family have they weighed in at all on this
5: absolutely our family has been very supportive of course of of us making our own decisions but that hasn't stopped them from from sharing their opinions that they would love to see grandkids or mm-hmm. nephews right yeah um, so it's it is very difficult because we're we're looking at, at balancing the budget and and our, our finances thinking okay we we are able to have kids and and that is something that we thought we wanted but but there's still a few things uh, specifically to do with uh, climate change action and uh, education policy. I think I already mentioned healthcare. It's uh mm-hmm. It's a very questionable. We're all living in, in a moment that, that is unsure, right? There's a lot of global, uh, global insecurities uh, towards food and, and health. Uh, I guess there's wars going on. So, so it's a very difficult time to make such a big decision. And, and we're not feeling necessarily like the government is supporting our perspective on this, right? There's a lot of talk about... Uh, whether whether it's affordable to have kids. But there's not a lot of talk about about whether it's uh something that you socially should be doing or if the energy that that my wife and I have is, is maybe better put towards community programs or or helping other people find childcare because we hear so much about it. Yeah. Um
2: and so did you ever? So the next person we talk to on the program is going to be a, a therapist who deals with couples as they wrestle with with issues like this. Uh, have you ever thought about uh, talking to a therapist?
5: Absolutely, we have. It's one thing that uh, that comes up quite frequently, but of course, it's it's the same as as but it's it's looped in with all the other issues, right? The the problem is that. That financial insecurity is one of the biggest pieces holding people back from having kids, but Mm -hmm. financial insecurity is also one of the biggest pieces holding people from seeking the care that they need, right? So we'd love to talk to a therapist, but but if that therapist convinces us that we should be having kids or that, that that's what we want to be doing, are we still going to be financially secure to do it after putting the money towards our own care?
2: Yeah, well, Douglas, it's so great that you uh, you called in. Really interesting. Now, I don't mean this in a way to diminish you at all, but you're still a kid. Like when I look at your age, you still have lots of time to uh, to make decisions, and uh, and and uh, you have a lot of big things to to think about. So I, I wish you well, and uh, maybe you can shoot us a, a an email uh, or get in touch with us on CBC.ca/slash aircheck when you and your wife kind of decide yes or no as to what the next step is going to be with kids.
5: Absolutely. I'll keep you guys updated. I really appreciate just having a platform to talk about this because I think it is a very important issue across Canada, obviously, with falling birth rates and, and with the lack of... Uh, there's a lot of people in my position, a lot of my peers that are facing the exact same thing and just don't know what to do. So it's, uh, it's really nice to have people talking about it. I appreciate everything you do, Ian.
2: Yeah, well, fantastic. And you know that people across the country are listening to you right now, Douglas. So, uh, so thank you very much. Our number here on Cross Country Checkup is one Are you choosing to have kids or go child free? What's weighing on your decision? Well, I said we were going to talk to a therapist and Andrew Sofin is that couples and family therapist who joins us now. And part of his job is helping couples work through whether they will have children. We reached Andrew in Montreal. Hi.
10: Hi, Ian. How are you doing today?
2: Good, good. So as you heard that last caller, 27 years old, his wife, I think he said, is 24. Uh, They're interested in having kids, but they are very much on the fence. And you heard the kinds of issues they're dealing with. Sounds like finances aren't as dire as they might be for a couple living in a city, they're in a rural area, but some pretty big issues when it comes to what kind of world would their kid grow up in, in terms of climate and access to healthcare and other issues like that. If if he, or, you know, let's, let's make it hypothetical, if someone like him were to come into your practice, um, what sort of things would you talk to him about?
10: Well, it's interesting, I was listening to Douglas, and I've heard this over and over and over again. Uh, Where couples come in and there really is a sense of being on the fence and being very uncertain about it. Uh, Most of the time, what I try and do is rather than looking at it in a big, large kind of conceptual way, is to try and slice it a little thinner. In other words, just sort of to go back to, okay, so why would you want to have kids? What are the factors that play into that kind of decision? What are your concerns what would your life be like without having kids? In other words, to really, in a way, you know, if you think about, you know, I'm wearing one of those headphones, you know, when they're they're really, really knotted tightly <laughs> and some people try and rip them apart and it never works. I think of a lot of times the couple's therapy is you're trying to really loosen those threads and those things and really open it up. So then the couple has a really good sense of, okay. I think we have a much better understanding of what's guiding us, why we're doing what we're doing. Because don't forget, a lot of people go into this with just saying, well, my parents had kids, Mm -hmm. or my culture says I have to have kids. Many women have grown up with, you know, since childhood of being expected to have children and never, ever examine the issue. I like to open these topics up and really look at it systemically And really sort of say, okay, I get it. Your parents want you to have kids. I get it. Grandparents want you to have kids. But what do you want? What's going to work for you? And sometimes you get some really interesting answers. Like sometimes the woman might say, you know what? I just want a career. And the guy's saying, you know what? I'd rather stay home with kids. But they've never even had that conversation before because nobody's sat down with them to kind of open this really uh, sensitive topic up.
2: What do you say when a couple or one member of the couple talks about? And let's use the climate crisis as an example. Mm. They're they're anxious. I mean, maybe not clinically anxious, but they're anxious about the yes. climate. Um, they you know they they see news about wildfires and they think, oh my goodness, you know the Canada burning. I can't. I, I want to have kids so much, but I I can't imagine bringing up a kid in this world. Um, what do you say to them in that very particular circumstance
10: it first of all is normalizing and really accepting and validating their concerns because it's very real concerns just look at the winter in montreal this year uh, we haven't had a day you know under minus 20 hmm. I, I mean it's it's just it's unheard of there's no snow on the ground so of course these are very real concerns but the one of the issues is usually the older generation will say, oh, don't no, don't worry about it. We figure it out. You'll figure it out too. So it's very much validating that feeling and very really helping them talk it through to a place of where they're making decisions based on what works for them, not everybody else in their world. That's the real, that's the sort of the subtlety of doing couples work. And sometimes don't forget, you'll get a real... Difference between say each partner, and sometimes they don't talk about it because they don't want to upset the other person. They don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. Yeah. And and how do you bring that up in a way where both people can really feel safe enough to talk about? Well, well, maybe let me, what let, me def- let me
2: let me let me jump yeah. in. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but sure. i I'm, I'm no, really I'm really interested in that because you All must right. have had situations, maybe multiple situations, where one person in the couple desperately wants to have kids so much, it means so much to them. And the other one, you know, doesn't really want to have them or might even say, hey, you know what? Then you're the person getting up at night and you're changing the diapers because let's be really clear, I'm not the person who wants to have kids. A, have you you as a therapist seen that kind of situation? And B, and I think you have, and B, how do you deal with it?
10: That's so hard because very often I see that situation where, they have already gotten married and at the you know, they, they already said, yes, we're going to have kids. And then one person changes their mind or one person finally sort of goes through and goes, Hmm, actually, I don't really want to have kids. And then you're getting into a real issue of the other person can get pretty angry at this point. It's going to be like, we got married, we're doing this. I thought you were on board with this. So you're also dealing with shame, guilt, uh, sadness, feeling of loss, feeling of, um, of being betrayal. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of it that way. It's, you know, we usually talk about in couples where there's either bigger things such as infidelity, but we don't often talk about where a decision such as deciding to have kids or not, it is somebody changes their mind. Mm-hmm. And how do you talk that through in a way where the emotions don't take over? Because, Ian, you can imagine the emotions are going to go through the roof mm-hmm. in a conversation like that. And you can imagine how hurt somebody would feel. And it's just how to help them talk it through, yeah. you know, in a way where they actually feel heard and where both people feel heard so that they can make choices about yeah. the future. Well, that I, might be I, the end of the marriage.
2: I hadn't thought about. I mean, it's it's complicated yeah. enough when yeah. two people in a couple have a different view of this. But if if either there was a misunderstanding or someone actually mm-hmm. changed their mind on something that is to many of us, it certainly I think was to my wife and I, the idea of having kids was so fundamental to who we are and our relationship that if one of us had changed our minds or wow that that. Uh, I guess that's when you go to a therapist, and uh, and uh, yeah, we're speaking to Andrew Sofin. He's a couples and family therapist. And our question on cross country checkup is: Are you choosing to have kids or go child free? You can call us right now at one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. Andrew, it's pretty clear, I think, to our listeners that I could talk to you for a long time. I have, <laughs> I just, I just find it really interesting. But um, we have a lot of callers, so let me just ask you one last question. I am not a therapist, but I feel pretty comfortable in saying this. Probably the idea of do you want kids or not? Maybe not first date conversation, but at what point in a relationship should a couple talk about this? Oh God!
10: I, I mean, it's such a good point. I really believe early on in the process for people, if you're talking about people in their twenties, when they're dating with the intention of maybe getting married and having kids, because it's so fundamental to how you live your life. So some people say, oh, we can talk about that later. We'll talk about it, you know, if we get engaged or something like that. But no, this should be happening at least within the first five dates of saying, just want to put this by you. Are you do you want kids or do you not want kids? Because the big difference, Ian, is this early on in the dating process, people are going to be a lot more honest. Mm-hmm. It's before the emotions have all kicked in. It's an easier question to answer on date one than it is on day 20, put it that way. Because some people are real people pleasers. Some people are, don't want to let somebody down. Some people just haven't thought it through. I've seen many men who never thought it through and just said, oh, well, yeah, I have kids because that's what I'm supposed to. And then when they really have to think it through, in other words, when they've got a partner, there saying, okay, time to get me pregnant. And they freak out. And that's when they come into my office. It's a little late in the game, but.
2: I have 18 more questions, but I will ask none of them (laughs) now because I have 18 more calls to get to. But Andrew Sofin, such a, a delight talking to you. Thank you.
10: Thank you so much.
2: Andrew Sofin is a couples and family therapist. He is in Montreal. Uh, later in the show, we'll hear from someone who did go through a breakup over this issue. Um, how is the decision to have kids affecting your relationship or, or the decision not to have kids for that matter? one 888 416 You can also reach us at cbc.ca slash aircheck. All righty, let's go to Lil Kakasey, who is in Parsons, British Columbia. Hi, Lil.
11: Hi there, Ian. How are you today?
2: I'm doing really well. Um, what's your view on this uh, decision to have kids or not have kids?
11: Well, first off, I have to let you—I'm way past having kids. I'm, <laughs> okay. I, I'm 74. Yes, I then have you. children, and I have grandchildren. And I did—I called before to let you know, hey, I'm not in that age category, but I wanted to give you a perspective on my grandchildren's
12: thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
11: Um, They range in age from 16 to 25, and I would say they all have discussed or showed um, that they would not want to have children, not so much primarily because of the cost, but because of the the climate change, Mm -hmm. what's happening in the world. When you hear about, like, we live in B.C., lots of fires out here, but, you know, there's also now water shortages and... Just what's happening to the planet? It's really freaking a lot of people out. Not they're not just young kids. It's it's everyone.
2: Mm-hmm. So there they are two. They're, they're, it's
11: what's happening globally.
2: Yeah. You know? So there are so, two parts to that, Lil. Like so. So first of all, there is th- being anxious about those things and, and feeling like that's not the environment you want, so to speak, that you want to bring your kids up in. So so there's that. Then the second one is 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 that. Um, a legitimate, you know, that's not even the right way. is not the right word, but but should that be a reason not to have a kid? Ultimately, parents or, or young people decide the answer to that. But as a 74-year-old grandmother, um, right. how would you answer that question? In other words, would you say to your grandkids, listen, I understand you're anxious, but maybe you might want to consider having kids for these reasons?
11: Um... I actually, I, I I do tell them. I said I understand where you're coming from, but I don't want to. I don't want to. Like what you just said is, have you checked out these other reasons that mm-hmm. are investigated? Um, that's a good. That's a good way to approach it. But I, I don't want to influence them and say, oh, but kids are really wonderful and it <laughs> completes the cycle. All that it, it's their decision to come up with whatever they're going to come up with and. I think, you know, they're still young. Um, the, the oldest is 25. Um, but the the older ones, you know, actually all of them are could be subject to change. We all mm-hmm. change, right? And I think as they get a little bit older, more years under their belt, I think they will explore that. But, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. I would perhaps next time we're talking about it, throw it out and say, ask them point blank, well, what are your thoughts about having children?
12: Mm-hmm. But
11: I know at this point, um at this point, they're really, they're just so turned off by it mm-hmm. because of what's, because of everything that's going on globally. Yeah.
2: You know, and, and like, I'm sorry, go ahead.
11: No, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was
2: going to say, like, you know, I, I, I haven't thought it out as as deeply, I guess, as they have. I, yeah. I've just always felt it. I hope my kids help make a better world and now I have a grandchild and I hope she too helps make yeah. a better world and I hope that's not naive but again I think the you know the overriding theme of the show I hope is that people you know, of course have the right to make these decisions and need to make these decisions. And even when you make them and you think you're doing them for the right reason, whether to have kids or not, you still don't really know, right? You don't know how things are going to turn out. There's so many unknowns. So at least, you know, that if people are thoughtful about these things and they have supportive, you know, loving family, like you clearly are to your your kids and grandkids, uh, you know, you just hope people make the best decisions. Right, Lil?
11: Yeah, because we have neighbors right down the road and, oh, my God, they've got the cutest little three-month-old baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at these little babies and and they are, they're just, yeah, it's the future generations, you know. You, you, uh, you can't just stop it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Lil, but... thank you very much for calling in. I appreciate it.
11: Okay. All right. And thank you. This is a very interesting topic. It's interesting hearing everybody's points of view. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Well, and thank you, because callers like you are what's making it interesting. We're getting such a range of opinions and and range of places, too. Our next caller is in Saskatoon, Max Momney. Hi, Max. Hi. How are you today? Good. You have one child. How do you feel about the decision to to have kids?
13: Well, uh, looking at the current scenario, I think I will not have another child.
2: Hmm. And why is that?
13: Um, first and foremost, the daycare system here in Saskatchewan is not up to the mark.
2: Mm-hmm.
13: Uh, I had my kid born in 2020, December 31st, so mm. at the peak time of COVID. And yeah. till, today, till today, I didn't find her a daycare. So wow. one of the parents has to stay home and rising costs and everything is make everything very tough. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's one of the reasons that we are not planning to have another one. And the second reason is in regards to the healthcare. like still my wife doesn't have a family doctor here. Mm-hmm. We tried everything and it's been dragging and dragging and dragging. So over and out, it seems like um, uh, we are not fit for having another child for now at least or yeah. moving forward.
2: And so... I mean, boy, you, you, you've touched on two things that I think a lot of people listening across the country can relate to. If daycare were to change, if it were to be, well, first of all, available, and available at an affordable cost, um, would that single change by itself make you more likely, to you and your wife, to have a second child?
13: Absolutely. That would make a lot of difference. Um, uh, talking personally about my scenario, it's like, you no. Know, I don't have any extended families or anybody that, you know, a lot of people have that Mm -hmm. come and sit and have a baby sit for, you know, a few hours so that the person can go out and work. Mm -hmm. I don't have that flexibility. So for me, uh, if the daycare is available and if it is at a good rate, absolutely we would love to have another child. But as I mentioned to you, the scenario is very, very tough in Saskatchewan specifically right now.
2: Max, thank you very much for calling, and, uh, and as I say, I think a lot of people are probably nodding their heads across the country because they can relate to many of those things, but in particular, access to daycare and access to a family doctor. Um, let's start a conversation with our next guest and continue it uh, past the break we take at the top of the hour. Laura Wharton decided to have kids on her own without a partner, and thanks to a donor egg and sperm, she is now the mother to twins, and she joins us from Pickering, Ontario. Hi, Laura. Hi. I was kinda of laughing during that intro because my I, I mentioned my one of my sons and his wife just had a kid, a single kid, like one kid. And yeah. I, I'm I'm reminded of how much is involved in that. And I just keep thinking to myself, how do people raise twins? Like how do you do that? How's it going?
14: I am a big believer in you don't get more than you can handle. <laughs> So um, I'm actually an identical twin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of know how, how the, our relationship is and what it's like to be a twin. So I honestly, I was lucky. I had two really good babies that uh, my daughter slept through the, the night at three months. My son oh. not till 10 and a half, but we dealt with it. And they've been pretty good. I mean, they have their moments. They're, they're four and a half now so I love watching their bond and I just took it moment by moment to be honest some nights and um I actually live with my twin sister so mm-hmm. uh there would be nights where if I was really exhausted she'd be like okay you sleep I'll get up with whoever wakes up and I'll deal with them at night but wow. so I had that support system even though it wasn't a traditional partner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I still had another adult in my home to help me out when I was
2: overwhelmed. Let me jump in and, and say a couple of things. First of all, a reminder to both our audience and you, Laura, that I, I take a very short break at the top of the hour. That's two minutes from now. So I may jump in and interrupt you, but I do want you to continue past the top of the hour to finish the conversation. Second thing I want to do is just step back for a moment. I was just so mm-hmm. obsessed with what it's like to parent you know baby <laughs> twins. But um, mm-hmm. but you were you were are but were a single yes. woman who chose to go ahead and, and you wanted to have kids. Um, yes. and, and so start that part of the the conversation for us. How, how, like what, what was your, what was your thinking at that point?
14: Um, well, I was getting older. I'll be 50 in August. And at the time I was 38 when started the process, mm-hmm. um, uh we went out, me and my sister actually went out for tea with two good friends and talking about having children and both of them had children. And they were like, did you ever think of having kids by yourself? And both me and my sister were like, no. <laughs> so that kind of got the ball rolling. She's also a single mother by choice. Um, we grew up with a single mom mm-hmm. and... So it wasn't an odd thing for us to be a, a, be around a single parent and mm-hmm. know that it can be done. Yes, it's hard, but it can be done. So that kind of started the ball rolling. Um, like you said, I had my my twins via donor egg and sperm because mm-hmm. it took me... I had fertility issues, so I knew it wasn't the sperm because I could pick kind of which one mm-hmm. I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I could get pregnant, but never stay pregnant. So. Right.
2: Pretty much, I... Okay, you know what? This is... I'm sorry to do this. This is where I jump in. Please stand by, but I want to say to those viewers who are watching us on CBC News
0: Network, Rosemary Barton is next. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This
2: is Hour 2 of Cross-Country Checkup on CBC Radio. I'm Ian Mansing, and we're live from Vancouver. We have roughly 30 minutes left in our main topic. And then we'll have our Ask Me Anything with Dr. Jacqueline Wong. There have been a few measles cases cases, cropping up across Canada, and Ontario's Chief Medical Health Officer is warning about a potential outbreak. So you can start calling now if you have any questions for our Pediatric Infectious Disease Specialist about measles and kids' vac vaccinations. Our number is 1-888-416-8333. You can also text a question about measles to 226-758-8924. And longtime listeners of the program know you can use those numbers to uh, take part in the conversation over the next half hour as well. Are you choosing to have kids or go child-free? What's weighing on your decision? All right, let's pick up where we were about a minute ago with Laura Wharton, who uh, has had uh, decided to have kids on her own without a partner. She has twins and she, you are living with your twin sister, right, Laura? Yes. Yeah. We own a home together. Wow. Okay. And, so And yeah. her
14: nine-year-old daughter.
2: Right. So um, so just before I interrupted you, uh, you were talking mm-hmm. about the, the decision. You were, I think, 38, certainly late 30s, decided mm-hmm. to, to have a kid on your own. Uh, you did not. Instantly, you were, you know take a, your babies to term. So there, were, how long was that process before you finally did have your children?
14: It took me six years to have them. Wow! So that was myself doing fertility treatments, and then finally, I I talked to my fertility doctor, and even just doing some searches online, I I ended up the donor egg route, and my fertility doctor was amazing because. He knew the struggles I went through, so he was like, yep, let's do this. And the first time I transferred two embryos, the donor eggs embryos, I got my twins.
2: So the headline here might be for some people, um, you know, single woman goes through this long, expensive, arduous, exhausting process and has twins. Um, That's fine. But you know what? There's another headline here, and that is that Laura is the mother of two kids. And you clearly desperately wanted to have these kids. So let me ask you, no matter the process, no matter being single or, or living with your twin sister, why, why did you want to have kids so much?
14: I think I always knew since I was young that I wanted to be a mom. I, before the job I do now, I, I worked in daycare. So I was always around children and I just loved it. I love being around kids, their sense of, um, freedom and fun. And I always wanted to have, I don't want to say someone to call my own, but someone that would call me mom. Yeah. And I, like I said, it's not always easy, but I love it. I love when I come or when I pick them up at daycare, you know, they run to me, mommy. Right. And mm-hmm. I love that. I just always wanted that. to I knew I always wanted that to be a part of my life.
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking now that feeling like to have your kids, uh, you know, running towards you and saying, mm-hmm. in my case, "Dad," that is uh, that is a fantastic moment. Um, what about? Uh, I guess maybe one last thing: uh, finances. Mm-hmm. Right? We've heard people talk about the challenge of uh, in these times, in particular, of raising a kid because of cost. Um, mm-hmm. Did that was that something that you 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 thought about a lot, or something you're like, are you struggling with that now?
14: Um, there's sometimes I do struggle with it, to be honest. Thankfully, being in Ontario and being a single mom of twins, um, I have subsidized daycare. So that helps tremendously. Mm -hmm. Um, without that, I have a pretty good job with the government. So it does help, but there's times where honestly, I do go without to provide for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I make sure that they're always fed. They have stuff for school If school is doing pizza lunch, I have money for that. Even if I don't buy a tea on the way to work, I Mm -hmm. make sure they're provided for before myself, which I think any parent does. They provide for their children and they go without. And I think that to me is just part of the natural process of being a parent or even a grandparent. Um, The odd time my mom will help out, uh, especially when it comes to childcare, Mm -hmm. uh, like on PA days. Instead of taking a day off work, my sister and I will have my mom come look after the kids at home. Mm -hmm. So we're lucky to have that little bit of support too, which helps. But finances, I never really thought about it before getting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just figured... Yeah, hey, figure things out when it happens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is one of the, the really interesting things about this program is to hear all these perspectives from people, you know, as young as 16. The, the grandmother mm-hmm. who called, uh, you know, her grandkids range in age, I think, uh, between, from 16 to 25. They have, mm-hmm. you know, even at that young age, real really big thoughts about, you know, like, can they, would they want to raise a kid in these times? Mm -hmm. And then, and then there's your view of like, let's do it. Let's do it and see how it works out. And, uh, and it sounds pretty clearly no regrets. And as I've said many times in this program, all of these points of view are absolutely legitimate and, uh, and, and really interesting to hear. Thank you very much, Laura.
14: Oh, you're welcome.
2: Laura Wharton is the single mother of twins, and she is in Pickering, Ontario. A reminder our Ask Me Anything is coming up in less than 25 minutes. It's about measles and kids' vaccinations. You can call with your questions 1 888 416 8333 or text us at 226 758 8924. Anita Zante is in Burlington, and she's calling on our main topic whether to have kids or go child free. Hi, Anita.
11: Hi,
3: Ian. How are
11: so,
2: you? Good, good. So I see in the notes here, you did have a child, but uh, fairly late in life.
3: I did. I did. I was 47 years old. Mm-hmm. I did not have her myself, but we did become uh, parents to a beautiful little girl from China. Huh. So we ad- we adopted her when mm-hmm. she was 13 months old.
2: And and why did you make that decision?
3: Well, um, <clears throat> Very much like a lot of the callers today I in my younger years, I did not necessarily want to have children um, and and I think you know as i'm older now now i'm sixty seven but in my young years it was all about me me me, and you really have to not be that way if you're if you think you're going to have children because it's not about you anymore it's about giving and it's about um, It's about another person and your responsibility to that person. So Mm -hmm. when I was young, I did not want to have the children. I was interested in my career and my career was my focus. But I've heard this story many times before as well. When by the time I got to the to the stage in my life where I wanted to have children, I couldn't. Um, and at first I thought, well, okay, that's just the way it's going to be for me. Um, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But then I did go on a, a fabulous. I went, to, I went on a trip to China. Um, probably, it was 11 years before we actually, I actually did the adoption
12: mm-hmm.
3: and um, became aware of a, of a situation in China, the one-child policy, and my, life, uh, my thoughts just changed about what was going on. And if I couldn't have a child myself, uh, then why shouldn't I help someone else or why shouldn't I give someone else a chance?
12: Mm -hmm. And
3: uh, and I think that that's what happens when you get older. You you um, well, what I thought was that I had something to give and um, I just had to find someone who wanted to do it with me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But eventually I did find a partner and and that partner decided that uh, he wanted to do that with me. And um, now our daughter's 20 years old. (laughs)
2: Yeah, there's so many paths to parenthood, especially these That's days, right. right? And 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 one of them can be adopting a child from a, another continent. Uh, and and when I say later in life, 47 is not late in life, but in terms of becoming a new parent, I guess, right? It's it's yeah. Sort there's of a, a lot.
3: Of, there were a lot of friends who thought we were just insane. <laughs> <laughs> and, you
2: know, and, I was 40, and
3: were you? I was 40- yeah, yeah, I was 47. My husband was 50. So they were just like, what? You're going to yeah. do what? <laughs> but, you know, as I've said before, there is so many advantages of doing it at that age that mm-hmm. I can't. You know, there's you're more patient. The money was not a problem at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, we were more financially set. There's just so many reasons why it was such a good thing to do. And I could not. It was the best. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life.
2: Wow. Um, you had changed by the time you were ready to adopt, but after the adoption, did your daughter change you?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, it's my, it, I always say it's the definition of true love. Mm. Absolutely. It, she changed us both. Um, and she gave so much to us. People, a lot of times people said, oh, she's so lucky. No, we are the lucky ones. We are the very, very lucky ones. So Absolutely total love story. Love it, love it, love it. Totally recommend it.
2: (laughs) I love Uh, hearing a love story, Anita. Thank you very much for calling.
3: Okay. Thank you for listening.
2: All right. Our number here, 1-888-416-8333. You can also reach us at cbc.ca slash aircheck. That's what Kelty McGuire did. And she writes, I'm a 41-year-old woman who's child-free by choice. I always thought that I would have kids simply because that's what I saw other women do. When I met my now husband in 2009, kids were something for later. But as the years went by and more and more of our friends started having kids, I began questioning whether motherhood and children were truly for me. And even if I wanted them, it was a lonely and difficult journey. But I eventually realized the right decision for me was to stay child-free. Copper Rose on uh, X slash Twitter After having one very wanted child, I realized that working shifts, having a partner never at home, lack of childcare if you work outside of office hours, all made caring for children extremely difficult for both me and the child. And Mustafa A., also on X slash Twitter, having a daughter is the best thing that ever happened to me. Trust me, you'll be fine and things will fall into place as long as you're going into parenthood 100%. This is Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hannah Mansing. We're live from CBC Vancouver. We've heard lots of stories so far. People have been so generous in terms of telling us uh, their, their personal stories. It's been really interesting, at least for me, to listen to. Hope you feel the same way. Um, our next guest has given a lot of thought to this question uh, in, in recent years. Uh, Hadia Rodrigue is 43 years old, an assistant professor of journalism at the University of Toronto, and joins us now. Hi, Hadia.
15: Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks for being on the program. So, uh, as I understand it, you were in a relationship uh, with uh, your now ex-partner when the question of having kids came up. Um, What were the, if I may ask, were the the main points of tension?
15: Well, my ex was really the first person I'd met, I think, 16 years that I'd considered having a kid with. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he was smart successful and nice and cute and healthy and did his (laughs) share of the household chores and you know on paper he looked like the straight cis male feminist jackpot. (laughs) So I really had to think about whether or not this was something I actually did want and I wrote a series of articles um, for Today's Parents a Globe and Mail about you know whether or not I wanted to be a mother to a Black child in a Black world. Some of my fears about equitable parenting and so, you know, my partner wanted a child.
2: And I'm sorry, you know what, I should just jump in. It occurred to me for those people who are listening on the radio, um, you you are Black, right? So just as they hear you talk about your, your considerations so that they're not too startled, um, you you have these considerations as a Black child. Anyway, sorry to interrupt.
15: Um, so, you know, I was afraid for my future kids. We moved in together just after the murder of George Floyd. You know, it's t- it's tough being a Black child in this world. I was also afraid for my health. Um, You know, I would bear some physical impacts of pregnancy as an older Black pregnant person. Black women often experience racial trauma in the birthing process. Um, Black women suffer from more postpartum complications. They die of pregnancy-related causes at a significantly higher rate than their white counterparts. I myself had had a number of health issues in a two-year period, multiple concussions, torn Achilles, long covid And there was a part of me that just didn't want to be sick again. And I thought that if I was pregnant, I was setting myself up to be sick. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I knew that parenthood would be much harder for me than my partner as a woman, as a Black woman. I think parenthood really brings the patriarchy misogyny and racism and inequality into sharper focus. And unequal parenting was something that was deeply unattractive to me. I wasn't interested in bearing all the sacrifices. A lot of the examples I saw in couples around me were not things that I wanted, not relationships that I wanted. And I knew that I would not just want, but need to do things very differently to find happiness in the parenting path. And to fight the very common imbalance between parents in cisgender and heterosexual relationships, you have to be very intentional. That requires doing things differently, a lot of active, ongoing work work on both of our parts. And so I knew if I was going to do this, it really had to be with someone who's going to be ready to face those challenges head on with me, actively, proactively, leaning into anti-racist and equal parenting and showing me that they were ready. But I think deep down, I was worried I didn't have that.
2: By definition, this this show and this interview, um, you know, delve into very personal things. So I I hope I can ask you this. Um, What about now? Is this kind of an irrevocable, uh, kind of decision or, or is, do you consider the possibility of having kids in the future?
15: I mean, I think for me to have kids, I would need to have someone who sees my concerns, who tries to understand and empathize with them and who has deep curiosity, care and compassion around them and is proactively doing things to assure me we could get through them together. So, you know, If I have health concerns, looking up and becoming familiar with the health challenges faced by black pregnant women, putting together a black, a list of black OBGYNs or doulas. Like my grandmother had my father when she was 45. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this could still happen. But I really needed someone, you know, who could show up and show that I wouldn't be doing all the emotional labor of raising a black kid and making sure that parenting was equal and I think if I had those things, that would have given me the confidence that, you know, I had the person that I needed to have the right relationship to bring a Black child into this world in an equal partnership. Yeah. And I think that, you know, deep down, I think, I, I think if I had these things, I might still come to the conclusion that I didn't want a kid. But I think it's hard to come to the conclusion that you do want these things without without those realities.
2: Mm-hmm. Boy, that is a lot to uh, to think about, but you're clearly somebody who thinks about a lot of these issues. Um, I think at one point you used the tense, you know, I would have done this if this had happened. So it sounds like you've kind of made your decision, although, as you point out, is it your grandmother who had a child at 45? Um, so, so technically there's time, but there are a lot of big issues to resolve in that remaining time.
15: Yeah, I mean, I think these issues would also apply if I wanted to Adopt
2: a child. Mm-hmm.
15: Uh, you know, I think generally, you know, I'm I'm sad that my partner that I felt that my partner didn't give me those demonstrations that I needed. I'm mad at myself for not being more upfront about those things. But at the same time, I think you know, sometimes I think the right person to have kids with would have been able to read my articles and listen to me and my concerns and realize that this was what I needed. This is what you know I needed to mm-hmm. be proactive and shown. But I I also understand. You know, I'm mad at the patriarchy and the whole system and how it treats mothers, how it treats women, how it treats black people, that the things I would need are seen as so rare or hard to obtain, even from a good person who means well. Mm -hmm. And I think if society was built better, the things that I feared would not have been things to be fearful of. I think a lot of men come from parenthood from this position of privilege, not having to worry about the impact of pregnancy on their health, not having to worry about the impact on its career. And so to them, the decision to be a parent is a much simpler, rosier calculus. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to involve any work or deep thinking or emotional labor. You know, it's it's supposed to be a purely emotional decision. Either you want a kid or you don't.
2: Hadiyah, thank you very much for not only speaking with us, but speaking so candidly. I appreciate it.
15: You're welcome. Thank you.
2: Hadia Rodrique is a professor of journalism, assistant professor of journalism at the University of Toronto. Coming up, our AMA with Dr. Jacqueline Wong about measles and vaccinations. You can call if you have questions for her. You can call right now, 1-888-416-8333. Or send your AMA questions to cbc.ca slash airtrack. That's going to start in about 12 minutes time, but still more time to uh, hear some voices on the decision to have kids or not have kids. Susan Camposilvan is in Hamilton. Hi, Susan.
16: Hi, hi, Ian. Thank you for taking my call.
2: Thank you for calling. What's uh, what's your view on our topic this week?
16: Uh, Yeah, it's a little bit different in a way. I'm a 66-year-old grandmother. Um, I look after my granddaughter, who's eight years old. I've been doing it for eight years. My daughter, um, had her child who, whom I look after. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place here. No, it's okay. <laughs> Not here. at all. Not at all. <laughs> yes. My, my daughter, who's now 41,
2: mm-hmm.
16: um, she had uh, my granddaughter whom I'm looking after mm-hmm. and, uh, things weren't working out between the three of us. I'm separated in, it was the three of us living together. And like mm-hmm. I said, my granddaughter is eight and, um, I decided to become her kinship caregiver, which is something that happens when things are not working out and she lives in my home. And anyway, the topic I kind of wanted to touch on was that I just feel like it's okay for... um, I feel it's great if a woman wants to have a child, but I think they have to have... These necessities, such as shelter and finances,
12: mm-hmm.
16: um, it, it's nice to have a partner, husband, wife, you know, whatever situation you're in. Mm-hmm. But I think those things are so necessary, and there are so many. I've been trying to get research, and, and there's no support groups for grandparents that raise their grandchildren. Um, there really isn't next to nothing, and I I think it would be a fantastic topic to bring up on cross-country checkup or um, any other part of cdc radio Mm -hmm. um yeah so that's that's where my daughter unfortunately got pregnant again and you know she she had lost her job she had no place to live and i'm 66 I, Mm i can't I can't deal looking, with looking after an eight-year-old and then two twin babies, and so she put the babies up for adoption, mm. and which was the right decision to yeah. make. But all around, it's just it, it's very difficult uh, yeah. for her. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it's all so complicated, and again, we're dealing with something which is so personal. Though you have very kindly called us, Susan. If I may, let me ask you. What is it like for you to raise such a young granddaughter by yourself?
16: Uh, it, it's been hard in the past. Uh, she's She has, you know, issues with, um, she sees her mom sometimes and she's with me. And um, the financial part sometimes can be difficult, but... I think it's just because of my age and you know, I, I had three children and my daughter is the oldest she's the one that had uh, my granddaughter mm-hmm. and um I I think it's a, it's a challenge physically and uh, you know many times mentally as well cause mm-hmm. it, it, it can be uh it can it can be stressful but it, you know I love her I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything because uh uh like i said it's almost been 5 years but uh it's uh and there's a large percentage of canadians that are grandparents that range from 55 up to 70 years old yep and they are raising their grandchildren and um like i said there's really there's really no support groups out there
2: yeah but, i i've uh, noted your name uh and your contact information i think you're absolutely right it's a uh, You know, whether it's a topic for us, as you suggested, or a topic for another program on CBC, it is definitely worth Mm -hmm. looking into. And and when we do kind of step forward with that, we'll definitely get back in touch with you, Susan. Thank you very much.
16: That would be great. Thank you so much, Ian. The show is
2: wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you. Let's go to Ottawa now. Sophie Rowe has uh, called us up. Hi, Sophie.
4: Hi, Ian. It's a pleasure.
2: Yeah, it's really nice to have you on the program. You have a four-month-old. How's that going?
4: Yes, thank you. Yeah, he's actually going to be uh, five months tomorrow.
17: Oh, um, it's nice. going great. He's a, a beautiful, healthy little boy.
2: Nice. And, um, and I see you, you've told our, our producers that uh, your are age 37. So as you've described it, I think you decided to have your kids a little later in life. Why?
17: Yeah, um, actually, it took a quite a bit of planning. I think it was almost five years in the, pl- in, in, in the works. Um, you know, I really wanted to make sure that my partner and I were financially stable. We were able to buy our house. That I was, you know, in a good career stride with work. Um, and by the time everything came together, including our budget, including daycare, um, yeah, we just I turned that age, and that's when we decided it was the right time. And so we're in a good situation now. Um, and honestly, after having uh, this little boy, I would love to have more children. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a joy. He he's wonderful. Um, But I only really planned for one. (laughs) So um, yeah, we're kind of in a situation now where we have to decide fairly quickly if we're going to have a second because, you know, there is a woman's fertility uh, window that, you know, unfortunately can be quite short.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about how differently we look at parental ages, if that's the way to describe it from generation to generation. Again, like when I was a kid, uh, I knew a lot of people who, who got, had their kids in their early twenties and then a few people in their thirties. And now like, you know, I, I, work with people who have kids in their late thirties, early forties, and no one thinks twice about it. Um, you, you mentioned you're 37 with a, an almost five month old and would love to have another kid. Do you, d- does you know, how do you feel about the age you are now, uh, growing and and having a potentially growing family?
17: Um, well, I think. Uh, you know, I try to take good care of myself and stay active and eat well. Um, you know, so I I feel pretty okay with it. Mm-hmm. But there is also things that are out of my control, and a lot of the you know information that I read about fertility rates is the scary age of thirty five, where you know your fertility rate just you know starts to to decline quite a bit.
12: So mm-hmm.
17: again, I would I would like to have more children, but I don't know you know if we were to try again, how successful it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's also, you know, my partner also worries about having kids later. You know, just sort of the energy level you're going to have when your child is, you know, 10 or 20 years old and sort of what that will look
2: like. Uh, One last thing, Sophie, and you don't have to have an answer for this, but I'll just ask you. Some of the people who called earlier expressed concerns about bringing a child into this world about, you know, whether it's climate change or war. Mm -hmm or, um, you know, any of, of the, the sort of dire issues that we face. I, I would say, parenthetically, we mm-hmm. have had many dire issues in the past, you know, world wars and cold wars and, you know, lots of things that, that made people feel uncomfortable. But, but did, did the sort of state of the world ever play into the decision you and your partner had, or not the decision, but when you and your partner thought mm-hmm. about having a kid, did, did those things weigh on your mind at all?
17: Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, to be honest, no, it, it didn't. And similar, I think you made the, the the comment that, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen in 5, 10, 20 years from now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I understand that those concerns are very valid. And I would never, you know, try to dissuade anyone. But, um, you know, for me, personally, I just didn't feel like that was a reason not to um, have a child. For me, you know, it is the ultimate human experience, like capital T, capital E. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to uh, lose out on that uh, based on something that I just had no idea what was going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. So um,
0: well,
2: short the short best... answer
17: to your question is no.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the best parent is one who, who wants to be a parent and is embracing parenthood. And you absolutely sound like you and I assume your partner as well are doing that. Sophie, thank you so much for calling us up.
17: Thank you so
2: much, Ian. Bye now. One, one last call before our Ask Me Anything, which is going to be about measles. We have a pediatric infectious disease specialist uh, who is standing by to answer your questions about the vaccine, about the illness. Um, and I think she'll probably weigh in about uh, other vaccines too, if you have those questions. one 416 Dr. Jacqueline Wong is standing by. But before we get to her, let's go to Port Moody, British Columbia, not far from where I'm sitting at the CBC Vancouver studio. And Shia Rudolf Shan has called us up. Hi, Shia.
1: Hi, Ian. Uh, Thanks for taking my call.
2: Yeah, thanks for calling. So uh, what's your answer to the question of uh, the decision-making that went into deciding to or not have kids? Uh,
1: Well, I think my wife and I, kind of uh, listening to all the stories uh, on your show so far, we we probably went through a lot of the same things. Other people called and went through. My wife, uh, when we met, was 33. I was 36, so we were kind of a little bit older. And Mm -hmm. she just uh, did not want to have any kids. I mean, she was adamant. It was almost like uh, when I asked her to uh, marry me, it was like a condition. Like you're not going to change your mind on this, right? We're not going to have any kids. (laughs) And I said, sure. I I, I didn't have any. um, I didn't have any like deep desires one way or another. Mm uh, I, that may sound disingenuous but it was like i really just wanted to i loved her wanted to marry her um you know spend the rest of my life with her and you know kids was you know if it happened fine but she didn't want to have any kids yep after we got married though um after like a year had passed uh my a younger brother had a son uh, her a younger sister had a, a son and a whole bunch of our friends started having uh, children or uh, becoming pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, that along with, you know, just kind of looking at this and bonding with these kids and seeing what life would be like with a child, just naturally um, she, she changed her mind. She said, you know, we're uh, kind of at the end of the of the stage where we could have uh, our own kids. And mm-hmm. uh, we decided to uh, try and um, luckily enough after, you know, a year or so, um, we we had our son. Um, it's been you know it, it's kind of funny. Once you arrive and you kind of hold your son, uh, your child, and you bond with him, it's almost like something happens in your in your brain where um, you know feelings and desires, mm-hmm. uh, new desires and new new kind of things that make you happy just become active that you didn't even know were there. I I
2: absolutely relate to that. Yeah. Now, what about so so you had the the issue of age at the beginning, and then then right. proximity to these kids who kind of inspired you guys to have kids. What about a topic that we've heard a lot throughout the program, which is, you know, the practical considerations of finances or access to daycare or size of housing. Were those things that complicated your uh, your decision making?
1: Um. Yes. Uh, they were big considerations. We were, I mean, I think, if anything, it pushed us both to try harder. Um, you know, to
12: uh,
1: look for career paths that would allow us to have um, uh, children and to be able to, well, a child. We're not we're, mm-hmm. to, to be able to kind of uh, produ- provide that financial security. We had been saving up for a purchase of a home even before we decided to have a child. But I think our our target was like some an apartment in downtown Vancouver, something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, once we knew we were having a kid, it it changed and we we, we kind of uh, went for, um, you know, our, our desire was to then have a house uh, further mm-hmm. out uh, from the city yeah. uh, in Port Moody. So, yeah, it, it it was a consideration. I think the daycare cost wasn't that much of a, mm-hmm. of a problem, but just the sort of totality of, <laughs> of the yeah. costs that were going to be associated with this. Um, was a big factor. But Super. We, like I said, tried harder.
2: Super interesting. Thank you very much for calling.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Ian.
2: It's time for Ask Me Anything about measles and kids' vaccinations.
14: New data show there were more than 40,000 measles cases across Europe in 2023, a 40-fold increase from just one year before.
5: That's the warning from medical experts who say Canadians can expect to see outbreaks of measles after an explosion of cases in Europe.
14: Measles is probably the most infectious human virus that is known. Over the course of the pandemic, we've had a historic backsliding in the immunization
2: rates around the world. A memo from Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, is urging public health units to be prepared for more cases. And Canada's chief medical doctor is calling on Canadians to make sure they're vaccinated against measles as we see more cases globally. The advice following similar statements from provincial health authorities in Ontario and Manitoba warning of potential outbreaks. According to the WHO, more than 42,000 measles cases were reported across Europe last year. As of today there's 6 confirmed cases in Canada including a Toronto infant who was hospitalized. Now most of these cases involve unvaccinated or vaccinated children who traveled abroad. So today we have an expert on hand to answer your questions about vaccinations and the risk of measles. Dr. Jacqueline Wong is a physician and infectious disease expert at McMaster University. She is here live to take your calls and answer questions about measles, vaccinations, and other safety measures. You can ask her anything on that topic. 1-888-416-8333. You can also text your questions 226-758-8924. Doctor, Dr. Wong, thanks for joining us again.
4: Hi, Ian. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having
2: me. I know that uh, our producer asked if you're getting many questions from parents, and and I think in your answer to her, you were saying, well, maybe not so much parents right now, but certainly lots of interest from the media. It sounds like this is a a big issue in, in Southern Ontario right now.
15: Yeah, it certainly is. I think as as you alluded to the number of cases that are active in Canada has taken a little uptick from you know even just a few days ago, yeah um, and with how much uh, media coverage there's been only a matter of time before we start getting a lot of questions from families and from
2: colleagues. Dr. Wong, I'm going to jump in and uh, and we're going to disconnect our line to you because uh, we're having a bit of a technical problem. So our control room is going to disconnect and reconnect with Dr. Jacqueline Wong. And while we do that, I'll just uh, let those of you who are listening on CBC Radio that uh, we are doing our Ask Me Anything about measles, that uh, there are... Uh, a few cases that have been recorded in Canada and there have been warnings from, among others, the chief medical health officer in the province of Ontario at the possibility of an outbreak. And, and not to put words in Dr. Wong's mouth, she is the expert, but as we are waiting to reconnect with her, I'll tell you that uh, measles is a highly infectious disease. I can remember here in British Columbia, Uh, maybe a year ago, there was a warning from public health authorities that somebody had been on the SkyTrain, part of our public transit system. um, And if you were on the Canada line between 4 and 5 o'clock on a certain day, you may have been exposed to measles. That is how infectious it is, that in a place over a period of time, just being in that, in this case, uh, car on the SkyTrain could expose you to the disease. And if your immunity is down, if you're not immunized properly, you have a pretty high risk of getting it. Uh, Let me check in with our control room and uh, find out if we have Dr. Wong back on the line. Okay, we're still uh, working on that. And so I'll also remind those of you who are listening that, uh, according to the World Health Organization, 42,000 measles cases were reported across Europe last year with six confirmed cases in Canada. Dr. Jacqueline Wong is back on the line. Dr. Wong, let's see how you sound now. Um, Maybe you can tell us uh, about whether you've seen any cases at all uh, in your practice in Hamilton.
18: Uh, Sorry about the technical difficulties. No problem. Um, I haven't seen any cases under my direct care, um, but over the holidays, definitely providing to help coverage for some of the other local centres and helping colleagues manage um, a case or two at their centre and providing telephone advice to them.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go through a few of the basics before we go to uh, calls and questions. And our number here is 1-888-416-8333. Or people can ask questions at cbc.ca slash aircheck. It's about measles. Um, but but a few basic questions here, Dr. Wong. First of all, how concerning is is measles as an illness? Because I am certainly of that generation where I, I just don't think about it. I didn't think about it when my kids were growing up because they were immunized and I think the population was highly immunized. But uh, but how how worrying is it uh, when a kid gets measles?
13: It's a great question.
18: And like you alluded to, um, it's an infection that a lot of people haven't had to think about for a long time. So... For the vast majority of kids, they will do okay with it. But they will feel pretty miserable and pretty crummy because the fever that comes with it is quite high. um, And they just feel pretty awful. Um, But anywhere from up to 10% of kids, even healthy kids, can run into complications from measles. And some of the most common complications are bacterial infections that require antibiotics,
3: and sometimes kids require
18: hospitalization as well, sometimes for those bacterial infections, but also because the virus can cause other complications, um, breathing difficulties, or inflammation of the brain in some cases, too.
2: All right, uh, Dr. Wong, we're going to make one more technical change. So I'm going to uh, talk for a little bit, and our control room is going to have you probably take the phone and just put it to your ear. So I'll let them talk to you. And again, for those people who are listening on uh, CBC Radio, I apologize for how long it's taking to get rolling here because we have people who are calling in. But I think if, if you're listening to the program, you'll appreciate our effort to uh, make the audio a little bit uh, easier to listen to. This is the Ask Me Anything it is live. If you had any questions about whether this program is live, uh, now you know we're very live. And uh, Dr. Wong, I think you probably have the phone to your ear now. Yes. Okay. You know what? That audio is fantastic. So that that is great. So thank you very much. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's it's not you at all. Thank you very much for bearing with us. So we talked for a moment about um, measles, the concerning part of measles, and and I and I guess the, there are kids who get measles who end up who end up hospitalized, right?
18: Yes, absolutely.
2: And, um, and then uh, before we uh, go to calls and our, our number is 1-888-416-8333, if anyone has any uh, questions about measles, tell me about the measles vaccination for kids. Uh, when should they get it? Um, what are the side effects? You know, the sort of, you know, the, the questions you must answer all the time from parents about the vaccination.
18: Yeah, happy to. So measles um, is included um, as one of the routine vaccinations that children get in Canada. Here in Canada, the vaccination they receive is called the MMR vaccine. So it includes measles, mumps, and rubella. The first dose is given shortly after the first birthday or 12 months of age. Um, And then the second dose, the timing of it can sometimes vary from province to province. Um, I'm Uh, Speaking to you from Toronto, from Ontario, so here our second dose is given um, just before starting grade school. So anywhere between age four and age six, children will get their second dose. Um, Sometimes people will get their second dose again as MMR or sometimes as MMRV because it's combined. Those three um, uh, viruses, it's combined with uh, varicella or chickenpox as well.
2: Mm -hmm. And um, side effects?
18: Yeah, so generally very well tolerated. Um if children develop any sort of redness or soreness, it's usually just at the site of the injection. Um the one interesting thing about this vaccine is when it does come with a fever, the fever is usually a week later. So oftentimes for the other routine vaccines that, uh, let's say, babies get in the first month of uh, first year of life, excuse me, Mm -hmm. most of the time the doctors will remind parents that, you know, your child might be a little fussy, might have a low-grade fever in the first day or two. But with the MMR vaccine, sometimes that fever comes a week later. So it's just a different reminder to give to families but well tolerated.
2: So we're doing our ask me anything on measles on the vaccination, on the illness itself and we have a pediatric infectious disease specialist with us from Toronto and our number is one 416 i am going to go to calls in just a moment but uh, Dr. Wong, one more question for you and that is about the efficacy of these vaccinations uh, after that first shot when the baby is a year old and a booster later on, um, how How successful are these shots in preventing a child from getting measles?
18: Yeah, this vaccine works really well. And that's partially why we were able to eradicate it here and in a lot of other countries when vaccine uptake rates are very good. So after the first um, dose of the vaccine probably around 92, 93% of people will develop protective antibodies. And then after the second dose, that rate goes up to 97%. So basically, almost everyone who did not respond the first time will respond the second time. Um, And that was part of the reason for moving from a single-dose vaccine series to a two-dose vaccine series.
2: So that 97% for uh, the um, antibodies that are generated after the second shot, does that mean that uh, basically only 3% of people at that point uh, are susceptible to getting measles, even if they're exposed to it?
18: It might even be less than that because, you know, we're measuring someone's body's ability to mount or produce um, uh, antibodies to it. Mm -hmm. um, There's always a possibility that someone might produce a lower level that isn't detected on an assay, but when they encounter the infection, they're able to mount that response. Mm -hmm. Um, And and part of that is it's um, a a live vaccine or a weakened vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, And once you have two doses, it should be able to provide you lifelong immunity as well.
2: All right. Well, speaking of lifelong immunity, uh, I know you're a pediatric infectious disease specialist, but we're going to get some questions as well from people who uh, don't go to see a pediatrician. And uh, Barbara Glick is our first caller. She's here in Vancouver. Hi, Barbara. Hi. What's your question for Dr. Wong?
9: Okay. So we're both 80 years old. And this uh, Next week, we're going to uh, Italy and Greece for a month. Uh, we do not remember ever having had uh, a vaccination. So one is, do we need to worry about a vaccination because we're 80? Two, if we do want a vaccination here in Vancouver, is it free?
2: Great questions. Um, I think on the last thing, Dr. Wong probably doesn't know the answer to that. I happen to have called a pharmacy yesterday, Barbara, and asked them about the measles vaccine. And they said, yeah, just show up, drop in, bring your BC health card. So that sounded like probably free to me, but uh, um, so I don't know for sure. But listen, on the first set of questions, uh, let me put those to Dr. Wong. I know, again, Dr. Wong, you're a pediatric specialist, but what can you say to Barbara? 81 years old, about to go to Italy and Spain, doesn't remember if she ever had the shot. Should she have it?
18: Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for your question. And that's a very common scenario that we hear. So even though I'm on the uh, pediatric um, end of the, the life spectrum. Um, yet because measles was far more common, um, we'll say several decades ago, before the 1970s, my mask's probably off, maybe 50 years ago. Um, at any rate, measles was more common back then because we didn't have the routine vaccination program around. So most people were not vaccinated as children um, who were born before 1970. Um, and the assumption is they would have um, immunity because they probably acquired it as a child child. Um. With the current um, uh, increase and in resurgence of this infection in many parts of the world, including Europe, a lot of people will recommend getting a, a, a dose. It might be your second dose, maybe you don't remember as a child, but an additional dose if you're an adult. And so, going to speak to your pharmacist. It sounds like Ian has done some research about easy That's ways right. to access this vaccine, yeah. um, or your primary care provider, just to verify um, from a from your individual health perspective, that there aren't any reasons not to, but the vast majority of otherwise healthy 80-year-old people are fine to go ahead and get this vaccine.
2: And uh, Dr. Wong, I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, but I think Dr. Tam, the, the country's chief medical officer, was saying that even if it is a week between shot and foreign trip, um, go ahead and do that. Yeah,
18: I would agree with that sentiment. Um, I think Dr. Tam was saying, you know, ideally, two weeks before you go so that your Mm -hmm. body has time to make an immune response and and build those antibodies. Um, But if you're going in a week's time, you'll probably get some antibody production. And I would say some is better than none. Um, And it also depends on how long you'll be away for and enjoying um, a warmer climate.
2: Yeah. So, Barbara, enjoy your trip. And it looks like even that one-week window will be good. And you'll see uh, whether my uh, unofficial research on calling the pharmacy helps you out. Thank you very much for calling.
16: Okay, thank you.
2: one is our number on our Ask Me Anything. And Dr. Jacqueline Wong, a pediatric infectious disease specialist, is answering questions about measles. Prophecy Sun is also here in Vancouver. Hi, Prophecy. Oh, hi.
4: Thanks so much for having my call.
2: Yeah, thanks for calling in. What's your question for Dr. Wong?
4: I'm
17: really curious. I know you were mentioning, uh, Dr. Wong, earlier about the efficacy of the vaccinations. I have a one and a half year old, almost a a 16 month old. I have an eight and a 10 year old. The eight and the 10 have been, they've both had their second dose. And earlier you were mentioning um, that the efficacy is lower for the first shot. So I'm just wondering at this point, since there have been outbreaks, what are the chances of, of something happening here in Vancouver? Um, and do you have any advice on uh, ways to mitigate and, and educate uh, family and friends?
2: Dr. Wong?
18: Great questions, Prophecy. Thank you for your question. Um, so the first question is around um, what is the likelihood of seeing more outbreaks in Vancouver or other parts of Canada, because the vaccine um, hasn't, it might not have its optimal effect if it's only been one dose. Um, or there mm-hmm. might be people that might not be eligible to get the vaccine. So I think that the answer to that really depends on where you reside and kind of the the vaccine um, uptake rate in your community. So what we generally say is if 95% of the people in the community have had their full vaccination series, so the two doses, um, Mm -hmm. then that is enough to prevent an outbreak, meaning prevent spread from person to person to person. Um, So anything lower than that, um, then the risk is there. And that's why even in a setting like ours, where this is a routinely available vaccine, that is free of charge. We're we're raising the alarm bells, um, and I guess that leads me into the second question in terms of what can people do. Um, I mean, we're in the middle of winter, and so we're always saying, you know, try to avoid crowded spaces in the winter time try to avoid being around other people who are sick you know cough runny nose fever i think that advice would hold true in this setting as well you're just trying to decrease the chance that you've um, been exposed um but uh, there are times when you don't know if someone else might be incubating the infection, um, or because measles is so easy to spread um, in in the room that you're in, you might not know that someone's you know feeling unwell. And so, educating yourself and and your friends and family about what to look out for if they do have measles. You know, we're we're talking about a high fever. We're talking about red eyes, runny nose coughing and there's this characteristic whole body red rash, um, that it comes with. If you Google it, there's, you know, a handful of images that come up every single time you search it. It's this blotchy red rash. Um, and the kids are usually miserable. So I think, you know, reminding ourselves what it looks like, um, can help for sure. Um, And then lastly, if you happen to be traveling somewhere where there's been a resurgence of this infection or it was never eradicated, if your child um, hasn't had both of their doses yet, it's worth asking your doctor if they might be eligible to get that second dose sooner. So, you know, we we spread out the interval to kind of increase the response to the second dose and also make sure kids are well-boosted before they start grade school. Um, but if you're traveling to um, a country or an area of the world where there's an outbreak, then you actually might want that second dose sooner. Um, and so long as it's been, you know, a month since your first dose, you're okay to sometimes get that second dose and so in 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 a setting where someone might have um, the travel plans or there might be other vulnerable family members in the household and you're trying to get everyone's vaccines up to need, up-to-date, that might be a scenario where you might want to talk to your doctor about getting that second dose a bit earlier, just as another thing you can do to try to protect yourself and your family.
2: Yeah, fantastic advice and very well explained in Prophecy. Thank you very much for your call. Let's go to Luann Haines, who is in Kitchener, Ontario. Hi, Luann.
11: Hi. Hi, Ian. How are you?
2: I'm doing really well. What's your question for Dr. Wong? <laughs>
11: Dr. Wong, I have a four-month-old granddaughter. Her three-year-old brother has been vaccinated. um, And I'm just worried about how to best protect her um, from measles. I had measles in 1964, and it was no joke. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I just wondered. You made some suggestions with the previous caller. Is there anything you would add to that for a child who's not going to be eligible for the vaccine for another several months?
2: Thanks, Luanne.
18: Great question, Luann. Um, fortunately, at that young age, um, most babies will still have the antibodies they received from their mom when mummy was pregnant um, to, to cover them for this first six months of life. Um, under the assumption that mummy was, you know, vaccinated for measles, of course. If a child, let's say, between six months and before they normally would get their first dose, if let's say they were going to travel or if an outbreak is declared in your community, that would be um, a scenario where a baby might be eligible for their first dose sooner. The only caveat I would say to that is it doesn't count towards your regular two-dose series. So the baby would still need a dose when they turn a year old, but this is extra protection you can offer them between six months and 11 months and 29 days.
2: This is exactly why we have an expert here, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Wong. That is fantastic advice and things that uh, had not occurred to me about uh, protection for somebody who's uh, at risk under the age of one. We're running out of time, but I think I can definitely go to one call, uh, maybe two. Uh, Lena Shamoon is uh, also in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. Hi, Lena.
17: Hi, Ian. Thanks for taking my call.
2: Thank you. What's your question for Dr. Wong?
17: So my question is: uh, My son is two years old. Um, he's fully vaccinated and up to date with his vaccines. Uh, it's it's a it's a two two set of questions. One is: um, What happens uh, in a situation where there are other children in his care, uh, daycare or school? Future um, situations where they're not vaccinated um, is the is the harm to my child? Is the harm to the other kid who is not vaccinated? Um, and then and how do you you know, how do you sort of control that stigma? Or how do you even go about asking whether kids are vaccinated or not? Basically, is it harmful for the people that aren't uh, vaccinated? Or is it harmful for my child who's vaccinated, who could potentially have a friend who's got, you know, something that they're not vaccinated
2: against? When you're asking, is it harmful, uh, Lena? you mean, uh, are they susceptible to getting measles?
17: Right, exactly. Like,
2: yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So, so uh, Dr. Wong, um, maybe if you can give us some uh, brief but accurate answers to these things, I'll break them down. So, first of all, for Lena's child, who I assume has just had the one shot, right, Lena, at, at his age? Um, so, let's assume that, that it just has the one shot. How protected is he in that class if measles is brought into that classroom, Dr. Wong?
18: Yeah, statistically speaking, I would. Oh, and thanks for the questions, Lena. Um, I would say statistically speaking, he's probably pretty well protected. Like he would fall in the ninety three percent, ninety two, ninety three percent of people that would have mounted a response um, to that first dose of the vaccine. So I would say there's a very good chance that he would be protected and not develop any symptoms himself.
2: And then if for the kids who are in that classroom who are unvaccinated, um, of course, if, if they don't come into contact with measles, that's fine. But if somebody, Dr. Wong, comes into that classroom or even the school uh, with measles, um, how likely is it that unvaccinated kids will get measles?
18: OK, that's also a really important question. So, um uh, the the medical term for this is like the secondary attack rate. It sounds very aggressive, but um, if someone has an infection and let's say they are in a room with 10 other people who have no immunity to measles, nine out of 10 of those people um, are likely to develop measles. That's wow. how infectious uh, this infection is.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess the last thing that I would ask you, Dr. Wong, related to this is um, how... So not only how many people get it, but also how it it hangs in the air, right? Like like the, the measles just seems incredibly infectious. Also in terms of walking into a room where somebody who was infected was there for what, like an hour before.
18: Yeah, it's actually up to two hours, in. So measles is one of those infections that is truly airborne, um, and that refers to the size of the respiratory particles mm-hmm. that can that uh, are transmitted from someone who's infected to someone who's not. So these secretions from your nose, from your throat, when you're talking, coughing, etc. Because it's airborne spread, these respiratory particles are so small that they can stay, stay suspended in the air, um, and that's where this two-hour window comes from. So if we if, if someone comes in and we know that um, they're worried about having measles, they've been in contact with someone or something like that, um, and they come into a waiting room or, you know, that's not great. Actually, we would usher them straight into a, a private room. Um, and then once they've left that private room, we cannot use it for two hours while the air, the, you know, air circulates through that room and gets removed through the hospital ventilation system.
2: Yeah, I apologize to the many callers we won't get to here. And I also apologize for our uh, audio problems uh, uh, at the beginning. But Dr. Wong, it's been fantastic having you on the program. And if I may, I think the bottom line here is measles is a serious illness. The vaccinations have a very high impact in terms of protecting people from it. um, And they need to get those vaccinations if at all possible. Did I sum that up properly, Dr. Wong?
18: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. It only takes a short flight you know, I think we forget, right? It's a short flight um, and sometimes infections um, that we haven't seen for decades are back on our doorstep.
2: All right. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Wong, a staff physician and assistant professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at McMaster University. That's it for Checkup, the podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkups live broadcast on CBC Radio from February 25th, 2024. If you'd like to share comments or appear on the show, go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Chuck Molgat, Kiata Greco, and Mackenzie Ribello. Our TV team is Caleb Isaac, Naveen Hassan, Richard Grundy, and Adrian Weeks. Technical production and editing from Will Yar and Matthias Wilson. Cross-Country Checkup was produced this week by Rooksar Ali, Kate Helmore, and Rachel DeGasperis. Digital producers, Sinisha Yolich, and our senior producers, Abby Plenner. I'm Ian Mansing in Vancouver. The next edition of Check Up, the podcast, will be posted after next Sunday's live show. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca
12: slash podcasts.